Hi, my name is Simon Franklin. I'm the composer for Avatar The Way of Water. So I started mixing sound when I was 13. I wrote to the BBC saying, how do I become a record producer and a film composer at the same time? So this is the only thing I've ever done. I'm unemployable in any other work. I'm completely useless in the general population. In the 90s, I was a session player in Los Angeles. I moved from England. I was playing on sessions for uh, records and films. So I did lots of pop records and lots of films. And at one point I got asked if I'd like to go meet this man called James Horner to talk to him about a film called Titanic, which at this time was going to be considered the world's biggest flop. It was going to be the disaster that brought down Fox and Paramount Studios. And the reason I was called in was because there was no money and I was the guy who could make synthesizers and samples speak. I could make them feel human, I could make them feel like an orchestra. And since we had no money in uh, Titanic, I was brought in to try and help the, the score. And so I started working with James on Titanic. Somewhere in the middle of that, he showed me a piano sketch, said, hey, you know Celine, what do you think? And so I took the piano sketch and made it into a record, and we know the rest. I went off and did other things, and about, let's see, it must be 12 years later, James phoned me up again and said, there's this other movie. Would you, would you fancy coming and look at five minutes of this? Because I, and I said, well, I don't do this anymore. And he said, well, please come and have a look. So I came and looked at five minutes of Avatar and it was astonishing and it was an amazing thing. So I thought about it and said, yes, okay, I'll work on this. And what was meant to be a week, then a month, ended up being almost 11 months working on Avatar 1. And my role there was to do the things that weren't orchestra. So I did the uh, electronica, which meant the sort of glowing forest, the sounds, the bells, the rhythms, the textures like that, the percussion, and many things like that were, were the areas that I specialized in Avatar. And we, James and I really worked out that we enjoyed working together and I enjoyed that we had a great crew, we had a great team, we all enjoyed working. And it was the quality of what we were doing I thought was exceptional. So I continued working with James and with the, the other members of the team. We did loads of more films over the following years. And about 2013, I started working on Pandora World of Avatar, which was the theme park for Walt Disney World. You know, we were starting the early work for that. And 2015, June 22nd, I'm speaking to James on the telephone. We have so many things coming up. And 23rd of June, I get a phone call from my friend Jim Henriksen saying, James has died in a plane crash. And obviously he was you know, one of my closest, if not my closest friend. I spoke to him several times a week. He was a close family friend to my whole family. And this was horrendous. I cannot even begin to describe how much I miss him. He, he was a wonderful human being. He's still very much alive to all of us. He had a very, very, very unique character that we loved. And obviously at that point, I then moved back into writing music rather than working with James. Around 2017, middle of 2017, Jim called and asked if I'd like to come and help them with the sequel. Initially to do with the music of the on-screen music. There was some indigenous music to do with the planet, to do with the Navi. 
and he wanted me to read the scripts for the sequels. And there were, at this point, there were four scripts to read. And then I started working on that and doing the indigenous music and all the pre-recording stuff that you needed to do before they shot the film properly. And that relationship worked very, very well. I get on very well with Jim and I think it's been fruitful for us both. And then as we evolved, then he asked me to make some test recordings. You know, what would, how Simon, how would you see the score? You know, how would it evolve from where we were? And obviously then at, uh, COVID came in, which obviously rather put a damper on everything. But at some point uh, in the middle of that, he then said, I'd really like you to do the score. I moved down to New Zealand to start it at the beginning of this year. And now we're in into November. And I'm just literally five minutes ago, finished the last recording for the film. It's an emotional score, I'd say it's a thematic score. There are sometimes scores that are textural or they're based on, this is very much big themes. It's evolving from where we were on Avatar 1. So you will hear and feel characters and themes. I brought themes from James's in and wove them into what I'm doing. The score takes place in, the, in a new part of the planet. It's got new characters. We're involved with the water is so much an important part of this score so that I have had to integrate that into the way that I think. Whereas we had the forest and we had the glowing night that was part of Avatar 1, this is now about the sea, it's about water, it's about water creatures, and there's a different approach. One of the things in terms of the textures, when I was building the textures for Avatar 1, I was using a lot of, sort of gamelan type glowing bell textures and we had a clipped vocal texture that we used a lot of. And in this one, we were, we're moved out to the sea. And that needs a sort of slightly longer sense of, of the themes need to be bigger, they need to be wider. And I took some inspiration from some work I've done with Mongolian singers, where they sing across the steps there. And these huge long lines that often we're in. There. And that that's part of that was there about the fact that you had to have, carry across long distances. And that's true of things like whales and so on, where you get these long things. So I've attempted to use some of that in the themes that I'm writing. There's the scintillation of light through the water that was important to Jim, and I had to find a way of creating that scintillation musically. And these were the things. I've changed the vocal textures when we're on the, with the sea village, where I've moved more to using some singers from Vanuatu and the Cook Islands and some of the South Pacific Islands because they have a softer texture than to the one that we've been using for a lot of the other things, just to evolve the vocal sound. The percussion stopped being sort of gamelan and started being bamboo rather than being metal. You know, there were things that I did to evolve the textures, and then obviously there are many new themes to do with the new characters that we have. One of the things we tried to do in most of the sung lines is use Navi words so that they're appropriate. So you will hear words that actually are appropriate to the scene in terms of the, the vocals that are sung. But obviously Navi itself is an interesting language. 
one of the things I've had to do is I created a thing called Song Chord for Zoe Saldana to sing in the film. And I wrote the lyrics for that in English. Then we technically translated those into Navi. And then I had to sort of move things around to make it singable because obviously a language which has lots of Ks and Xs and Ts isn't a phenomenally great language to sing. And so there are some things you do. And Jim and I agreed that sung Navi could be different to spoken Navi in the way that, say, sung German is different to spoken German. I obviously collaborated with Paul Frommer in making sure that the translations were correct. He's the man who created the language for Pandora. And in terms of the indigenous vocals, that's very much, I've been trying to make sure that they're appropriate to what we're, we're seeing on the screen. The percussion and some of the other sounds, I, I worked with a guy called Chuck Jonke, who is a mad genius who sits there making the strangest of instruments. And so I've had Chuck create a whole load of special instruments for this thing. And, and over the process, one of the great things was that there was a general collaboration. One of the things you don't get in most films is that I would work in a thing called Culture Club, we called it, which was me, the costume designer, the prop master, and several of the other team members so that we could make, if we were doing indigenous stuff, there was a coherent whole. Because one of the things that Jim was insistent about was that you couldn't just make stuff up. And so I, in this case, I had to show analogs on earth to things I might want to do. So I remember going to meet the farkeeper for the Chumash tribe. We met two tribal chiefs from a tribe in the Amazon. And part of that was to just check some of the rituals that, that uh, we're doing, see whether there was a reason that we could integrate that. They are very much now rituals of Pandora, but I wanted to make sure that the reasoning that I was giving Jim had some sort of parallel. One of the things I've seen in many indigenous nations around the world is there's this idea of life being a spark or dawn, and then you walk towards the light, and then you throw a light, and then you walk towards the sunset. And this was something that I was attempting to do in some of the, the lyrical work, was to get that idea of a life being a spark that you carry, and so on. Because the idea, one of the things we have in the film with song chord, is the idea of singing the memories of your family. And obviously now we've met, we're seeing Jake and Neytiri, they have children, they have a family. And one, and we, one of the things, we, we meet her as she is singing the song chord, which is the birth of her children. And this is an idea, and therefore there had to be this thing, and I had to create a, a lyric and a song that had to have a sense of the ancients. I wanted it to feel like it came from a long time ago, something that had been carried from generation to generation but also had to feel like it wasn't that it was from Pandora, that it wasn't something we'd hear normally. And I think that is carried through the score. It's a very, very important motif that I'm using through the score. The idea of the family is so essential to this film. <laughs> So the big cues for me then in the film, if I would take my standout cues. So Home Tree, which is the song chord theme. We call it Home Tree in the album. And that has the big orchestra, has the voices, choir, but that's an orchestral cue with a big sweeping grand theme. 
if you take a cue like the Tolkien return, that is everything. It's like we have tribal drums. A lot of, again, these are sort of wooden drums. There's percussion because we took, this is where we met the Metcaina tribe, so the percussion is slightly different, but it keeps a similar rhythm to something that we did in Avatar 1. Jake's first flight has a rhythm that was actually based on me slapping my chest. So I took that sort of rhythm again to put it, but put it into something that was slightly different textures. And we built these Navi chants from the Metcaina, and that has a joy and an energy to it. And then we go into these big, big cues. You know, there's this typical things you'd expect for a score like this. So we have phenomenal woodwind players, in this case, Tony Hinnigan and Pedro Istesh, who are just ridiculously great. There are these phenomenal soloists. You'll hear solo singers dotted throughout the score who give their own character to the, the film and to the score. And that's, I think, part of this, is I wanted to make sure that the score has a connection. I think a human voice gives a connection to some of these themes in a way that just a pure orchestra or synth never does. So one of the things obviously is that we do, you have to create a whole world because I'm world building in the music. My point, the, the, the thing about this is that I, I'm trying to give you that sense of being there. I've obviously, I'm dealing with the heart and soul of a, you know, I'm trying to be the emotional connection that a score always does. But in this case, I also have to world build and I have to create that sense of feeling of being in Pandora. And, you know, we're using Things I juxtapose, the themes for the human, the RDA, for instance, they have this dark brass theme, but they're also using electronica. I'm using a much more synthetic, hard-edged point scores because that's the humans. There's metal, there's, there's hard edges to everything. And then you have these softer flowing things for the Navi and for the world as we go to the sea. We created these scintillating bells one of the things we did is we had four or five percussionists playing things like hanging keys and individual tines on bells and so on. And we made this incredible shimmer. It feels like you're being surrounded by a glow. It's not the same as a Mark III. It's a much more delicate, much more flowing thing because it had this sense of bubbles going through water. I wanted to have the sound of sand going through your toes on the beach. The other thing I obviously had was the, because I have this collaboration with the props department, often one of the things I could do was design 3D instruments and then they would print them and they would say, here is an instrument because we, I just, I'd sit, sketch it out and I'd tell them how long I wanted it to be. And they said, and I was thinking, oh, this is fun, you know. And then they said, yeah, we can, we can print it for you. And so it went into a 3D printer and out came this fabulous instrument. And there are things like that, you know, where there are, because my background is in synthesizers and creating textures, I did also go back to some of the old vintage synthesizers of the past and the textures that I could build because they gave a sense of a 
a tactile quality to some of the things that I was doing in a way that a lot of the stuff that is available now doesn't do so. The great thing is I can make it up in this case because I can say, I will look at an analog on Earth. I say, this is what I want. This is where I want to come from. So it might be that in this case, I would say, right, there's this African instrument, it does this. And I would say, right, but what would I, how would I do this if I am 10 feet tall? If I have three fingers? If I, you know, have a different set of things because I don't use metal, because I am Navi and I don't use metal. And there are, you, you have to think deeply about what you're doing based on the world as well. You can't just make stuff up. You have to actually say, right, I am going to create a texture that works for this because it fits in the world. All those little things that in themselves mean nothing. But when you combine them across with everything else and seven or 800 tracks of audio going at the same time, that attention to detail, because we've spent a long time on this, you know, uh, you know, from January 6th to November the 17th, is quite a long time to be working on this score. And so that attention to detail, I think, is something that people will notice. In terms of samples or synthesizers or sounds that we're making up, you know, for instance, I would detune instruments sometimes because you want that slight rub of things being slightly out of tune because that gives it a little bit more interest. I remember working with some Eritreans and I, it took me some while to get into their system because it, it they had a five note tuning system and every single note sounded out of tune to me. It was just terrible. It took me about five or six hours to make and then I suddenly went, oh, oh, it's this. And it, but it really took a while. And one of the things that you have to embrace the wrong because that's sort of what makes it feel like it's in another world. It shouldn't sound like I could have made it here. I think James, I was lucky enough to work with James on so many scores. One thing that was important, it was the idea of melody, the idea of connecting tissue and a, an emotional connection and a flow. I think for me, the thing that would happen is that that idea of a thematic flow through a piece is essential to the way that he wrote. And I think there was a willingness to allow there to be space. And I think that James's scores would sound huge, but in some ways there was often less going on because he would often do this thing of having these two lines working against each other and then something very simple in the middle and you've got this space, and what that does against film is it gives room for the dialogue, it gives room for the effects, and ultimately we're film composers, we're not composing. If I write a piece of classical music for myself, I can do anything I want, but here the picture is telling us what to do, the director is telling us what to do, and I have to also compensate for the fact that I'm writing around those dialogue moments, I'm writing around those sound effects moments, and James was an absolute master in making a line that managed to feel organic to the scene, allowed to flow, but still was melodically coherent 
And also, he absolutely would tear your heartstrings apart. I have used themes from James in the film, I have, you know, and that's essential that we do so. I've tried to weave them into everything else. But I hope if I've taken one lesson from James, it's to be not to be scared of a theme. Jim Cameron is the god of action, it's fair to say. And the action in this film is ridiculously great. And I think it's that sense of making sure that you pace yourself against the action. We've had a couple of times when I wrote a cue and he's saying, this is great, this is brilliant, I love this. And, I, and, I, and it would be a long, it'd be five, six minute long action cue. And then he would take it away and he would say, and he'd start using other bits of my music and throwing things in. And he would come back and I would look at this patchwork quilt of music, but then I'd go, oh yeah, it's so much better. Because he is the best. Nobody chooses music for a Jim Cameron film like Jim Cameron. And I'm, I don't mean to be glib, it's one of those things where he just has an innate sense of how action should flow. And that sense of sweep, I think you'll see that the action's music here is a bit more muscular than we used in Avatar 1. That's somewhat probably down to my style, but it's also about Jim's approach. He wanted me to go in a slightly different way rather than the big classical choir, but there are some big classical action cues. But there is so much going on, and there's also a couple of other things which we didn't have in Avatar 1. Water is not great for your music. The sound of rushing water is, is up there with helicopters and machine guns, which uh, I have all of these, in terms of things that aren't good for music. And so the great thing you have to learn is how you navigate between the action music, make you think you've written a beautiful cue, and then you put it up with the dialogue and the sound effects, and suddenly you realize that all you've done is contribute to the mess. And so you learn very quickly the clarity in an action sequence is everything. It's everything you would expect from an Avatar score. There is everything you would expect from a James Cameron film. There is an epic quality to it. Because one of the things I have to reiterate is I think this is, you know, astounding film to watch. It's stunning. I think it is groundbreaking cinema. I think it, it will be seen as a major moment in cinema history. Listen to the soundtrack to Avatar, Wave Water, out now. <laughs>